singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up. Hi, hi, hi there, everyone, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your humble narrator, Steve, and with me is my droog, Matty M. Matt, how art thou? <laughs> um, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm oh, good. come on. Please. I'm, no. I'm good. He's good. Well, no, I, well, when we get to the movie, I'll explain why I don't want to do that. I have some, I have some thoughts and opinions about things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm doing, I'm doing very good. I'm a little fired up more than normal, I guess. I don't know why, but I'm just fired know. up, ready to go. Is, is it because of the cocaine? Well, Matt, today joining us for this very special episode of For Your Reconsideration, we have contributing writer to Slash Film, High Def Digest, and creator of the new Welcome to Class Reel. He is a former guest on this show. He helped us out with the Lord of the Rings. It is the one, the only, Justin Clark. Justin, how's it going? Yay! (laughs) How are you doing, man? I am good, less lucid than I would hope, but yes, I am good. <laughs> okay. So uh, I just want to talk briefly. You have this new thing coming on. Well, class Reel? Welcome to Class Reel, something? Welcome to Class Reel. Yeah, I basically, you know, I like the work that I'm doing over at Slant, GameSpot, all that good stuff, but I wanted to be able to write on my own. So, yeah, I kind of restarted my blog, hopefully, to be writing in it on a regular basis. So a lot of that's going to start happening once I'm unburied from work but yes <laughs> yes and is it a majority video game or just general pop culture movies etc it's definitely going to be gaming but there's going to be a lot of crossover one of the things i've wanted to do with it since i started was kind of do like a matchmaking thing where just like hey if you like this game maybe you should go read this movie or go read this book read this read movie, this movie. <laughs> go watch this movie <laughs> <laughs> Well, Absolutely. I mean, maybe it's a foreign film, and you should you have to you have that's to read a good it. exactly. There you yeah. go. It's a foreign film that's on an anime. Maybe, okay. Yeah, like <laughs> the whole site is named after a Japanese. Oh, no, a Polish movie. It's a Japanese movie that's in Polish. So yeah, there is a lot of reading there. So yeah. How strange. Swish. Right. But okay. Hey, you can, exactly. you can go so check it out. You can go check it out. Movie. Definitely. Uh, welcome to classreel.com.org. Yes, sir. And uh, you do have a Patreon up, so let's get this man uh, fun employed so he can just keep doing his uh, his own stuff whenever he wants to, wherever he wants to. The writing is great. He is uh, one of the best voices on the internet. And I, we are so glad to have you here for Stanley Kubrick's 1971 Best Picture nominee, A Clockwork Orange. Yes, folks, I know. Is A Clockwork Orange a horror film? Not in the traditional sense, but it's very terrifying in a general sense of things and we will get to that so my first question to everyone is what is your relationship with a clockwork orange when did you first see it and what and uh what'd you think then as opposed to now justin justin you you can go first yeah um well it was i don't know maybe the i would say third kubrick film i ever saw because i grew up like watching in 2001 it's still you know absolutely my favorite movie Mm -hmm. um i at the time, like, I'd seen it when I was about eight or nine years old, and then I didn't see it. Like, my mom wouldn't let me watch another Kubrick movie <laughs> until I was, like, in my teens. So, like, I eventually watched um, Full Metal Jacket when I was a teenager. Well, I watched half of Full Metal Jacket, like most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, Surprisingly, and then the second sure... half. In a no, twist. not that one. <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly not the second half i don't know what's going on in that first hour but um yeah just after that it was okay i should probably sit down and watch the rest of them and my mom had the vhs of clockwork orange and just i never watched it just because of her like vehemence just like do not watch this movie under any circumstances i was just like don't tell me what to do. I'm 14. I'll do whatever the hell I want. You're not my mom. You're not my mom. <laughs> So I did, and I immediately knew why she stopped me from watching it for so many years, because 
That was a shocker. And I never told her I watched it until we went to go see Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Wait, together? Yeah, fun story. Like, oh, 1999, like, nice. we, we went to go see Eyes Wide Shut and the South Park movie that same year. Our relationship has never been the same ever since <laughs> that year. Can't you just go see episode one in The Matrix and just call it a day? Yeah, fun story. I went to go see The Matrix alone, so yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> We well, weren't that uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's uh, has it been many years since you've seen this? Roughly eighteen. Oh no no no! I saw it. I think last year, as a matter of fact. Oh. Was the last time. Yeah. So it has been fairly recent. So. Kudos. Good. Kudos to being a big boy and finally and finally getting to watch it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and all the Kubrick stuff. Matt, what is your uh, tale of Clockwork Orange? If it's a tale, it's it's like a lot of the ones uh, I think I told. But it's it, there's this period where I was trying to watch everything that you know people told us was important, like film wise. And I want to say, uh, like the if I went to the video store, my father would have been like no. But if I went to the library and they had the movie, like no one would know about it. So <laughs> I was at the library and I got it on on VHS. And I think I had my little like. 10 inch TV with the VCR built in for, for you know, yeah. late, night, late night engagements, let, let us say. Uh, and that was one of the ones I watched like by myself at probably like same thing, 13 or 14. I'm just like shattered. <laughs> <laughs> I went to sleep like just cold. It was summertime. I was freezing. Like something was wrong with my body. Um, yeah. And then I think I probably, I was talking to you about this earlier. I think I had seen it. Um, I, I may have seen it between then and now but i feel like i only saw parts of it and maybe that's more speaking to the film like just the, the sort of key elements of the movie you sort of always remember the iconic stuff i i may yeah. have seen it again since then but i i i sort of feel like i only saw little bits and pieces of it but i don't okay. remember okay. Well, well, me. I de it definitely seems like we all have had the we saw it when we were perhaps a bit too young and now we've seen it again and it's uh it it affects you one way or the other, regardless regardless of age. And you know, I, same story. I think it was probably fifteen or sixteen. Rented it from from a, clearly a video store where someone I knew worked there, so I could get away with stuff like that, mm. which was which was very key back in the late nineties. It's like that's what you needed. I think that's how I got Showgirls too. Because <laughs> oh, you dog. Yeah, woo. That's fun. I just had a pay per view, and I just didn't much show my mom the bill. Oh. Yeah, this guy yeah. right here, he's just, he's just... I was just stealthy as a kid. That was just good. As hell. That's, 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 why you, that's why you write for a living. We can just, <laughs> just do this. Crazy kid and whatever. Anyway, uh, uh, had either of you gentlemen read the Anthony Burgess novel? I did not. I picked it up briefly when I, once upon a time where you could walk into a you know bookstore and just kind of stand there for like an hour and a half just reading mm -hmm. for a while. Like, I... Like the first thing I did was just immediately went to like the glossary that was in one of the editions and just kind of like, oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> ew, that's gross, you know that kind of thing. Like, how did they come up with this, Matt? And you? Yeah, I, I actually read the book in a like film and lit class in in college. I'm thinking in, in, in middle in school, college. Oh, college, of course, in college. It wasn't any other grade. Uh, I don't remember what the, the specific purpose was. I just remember speaking about the fact that the book was written, I think in like 62, right. 63. And then the movie was made almost 10 years later. So we talked about like the, you know, different like social things going on between those like 10 years and why they unfortunately still like, it was still prevalent at the time. Um, hmm. But yeah, I did read I, it. I must Any... have read it for the same class. Cause I definitely remember, I like, I know for a fact I read this book. I don't remember much about it. I think, I think solely because it was just I was also an English major back then, so I was just reading books every week, and just, I just yeah. like it all sort of gets blend blends in together. Yeah, there's like epic poems that are you know inserted with the NADSAT language. It's a whole. It becomes it's very jumbled up there. <laughs> Anyways, but we don't we don't have oft we don't we can't talk about Kubrick a lot in this so we'll start here where would you rank this sort of in your general Kubrick list of things just not not so much spoiler but just like hey where is it for you guys top Kubrick bottom Kubrick middle hmm. Kubrick 
Well, they had like seven movies, so it's like. I'd say probably like top like third, like maybe yeah. three or four somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like 2001 is definitely the top, and um, oddly enough, like Full Metal Jacket's kind of fallen down for me a little bit. So like, yeah, Clockwork Orange is kind of right in that midsection in there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would actually have to say 2001. You know, Justin, I hear you there. It's my uh, it's my favorite movie of all time. Love that. And they have two copies of it on Blu-ray, and I'm okay with that. I'm like, all right. I wear this one out. It's good. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's incredible. I, th- I think what, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but I think we should just talk about it anyways because screw it, it's amazing. Sure yeah, this one is mid tier. I've never seen Barry Lyndon. Has anyone seen? Has anyone seen Barry Lyndon? I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seen, like actually, I had the Blu-ray set for a couple years and never got around to Barry Lyndon until I think this was actually the same time. Like I went through the entire Kubrick box set just to mm-hmm. get it all out of the way. And watch Barry Lyndon, and surprisingly, I really like that movie. Like, yeah, it's, very good. Like, it's, the reason I avoid it is because I usually hate like costume drama, kind of very mm-hmm. dry, kind of British aristocracy kind of bullshit. But, and then you sit down to watch it, and it's just like, yeah, it is that. And then you realize, oh my God, Kubrick is painting all these people as idiots in like you know, liars <laughs> and cheats, and like the only one is like this poor kid that kind of gets wrapped up in it and just like it's way more subversive than i thought it was gonna be so yeah i actually have come to like that a real okay. whole lot well shit i'm gonna have to go take four hour four hours out of my day and watch that yeah like that's like a clear schedule like you know plan your meals out like you know mm. bring the toilet with you to the couch whatever you gotta <laughs> yeah. do you know, give, give, the ba- give the baby some whiskey and just uh, and be fine. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Well, we should definitely take a break then because I probably should go explain myself. Anyway, so we'll be right back. We'll talk briefly about the Academy Award nominations. The Clockwork Orange got maybe a little more about that, and then we'll just get right into the movie. There was me. That is Alex, and my three droogs. That is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar, trying to make up our razoo docks what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold milk plus. Milk plus Velocet, or Sintamesk, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. Gentlemen, what was A Clockwork Orange nominated for in the 1971 Academy Awards? It was nominated for Best Director for Stanley Kubrick, Best Film Editing, Bill Butler, Best Picture, Stanley Kubrick, and Best Adapted Screenplay, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> and how many did it win? <laughs> it won <laughs> zero. Nothing! <laughs> Big old nothing. And that would, that would be a common trait among Kubrick movies because he won zero Oscars during his time. His very, not prolific, but still very profound uh, time. In a, what fifty year, forty year career or something? It's eight movies, all yeah, 40 all of them, something. yeah, all From of them the 50s amazing. Till ninety nine, so yeah, that's bad. He's <laughs> <laughs> not doing well. Yeah, Hitch, Hitchcock at least like made a movie every two years or something, or like two a movie every year and thereabouts. But man, yeah. it's one of those uh, one of those great uh, great sins of omission by the Academy. Michael, and he never got nominated for like a honorary or nothing like that. Well, I think I think he was given an Irving G. Thalberg at some point, but he never won a competitive Oscar despite being nominated in many categories. He was the first he was the first guy ever to be nominated for a science fiction movie for director. That's that's pretty cool, and it took him way way too long to do that till '68. So, hey, and uh, ultimately the film did lose to the French Connection. Uh, we have done an episode on that, so you should go check that out. A lot of fun. Really enjoy that movie. And, yeah, you know, it's a thing. It's whatever. It, it is what it is. Uh, we can. We will obviously talk about at the end whether this maybe deserved a bit more than it was uh, just nominated for. Maybe, maybe it should have gotten a win. But, anyways... This is, we're going to go right into it. This is A Clockwork Orange, written and directed by Stanley Kubrick from the novel by Anthony Burgess, starring Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, Warren Clark, Arby Morris, with a surprise appearance by David Darth Vader Prowse. That was fun. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? David? No. Yes, it's him. But it's not his voice. It's just the guy. 
awesome. In hot pants. In hot Yo, pants, no su- less. such hot pants. <laughs> wow. Just doing some curls, you're like, Yes, <laughs> it's like the grunting. <laughs> love it. I oh, love man. it. Just not, not explain why he's there. You're like, All right, All right cool. well, like, likewise, we're not explaining what we're even talking about, which is like <laughs> grunting and top pants and David Prowse. <laughs> if you, if you get what we're, we're all, we're all basically just doing some curls, it's like just exercise, like, Yeah, anyways, David, I'm just I, saying, if, if Tumblr has been around in like the 70s, I'm just saying that would have been a thing, like, easily, just like. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Handsome, handsome companions. Mm-hmm. That's, Rule thirty-four, and, Vader, man. Yeah, and that's why, uh, and that's why we're glad Tumblr was not a thing in the seventies. Oh, good <laughs> lord, that would have been just awful. Oh, you think it's bad now? Oh, you think it's bad today? Jesus. Oh, the stuff that the stuff they did in the seventies, you could not get away with today. Oh, no. oh okay, uh, Matt. I'm sure you have yes. this. What does IMDb say A Clockwork Orange is about? Yeah. Uh, In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion uh, experiment. But it doesn't go as planned. (laughs) I don't know why I had that arch moment at the end, but I feel like it needs it. It does. It's the understatement of the year, I would say. Isn't that like a spoiler, kind of? Like I feel like that's like a long buildup for... Obviously, we know it's not going to go as planned. There's like a lot left of the movie after that happens. But right. Like, what? Still, that seems like there. Yeah. What? If, what? What if it hadn't gone? What if it went ex- exactly according to plan? And everyone was like treated him fine. It was like, oh yeah. It was like, and he gets this thing, <laughs> and and like everything's great. He's a well-adjusted member of society. People treat him with respect, and there you go. It's like if you handed Spielberg this movie instead of AI. It's just like <laughs> that's how the ending would have gone. <laughs> Well, actually, I imagine what would happen. Spielberg would have t- would have read the twenty first chapter of the book, which apparently Kubrick did not. He read the American version, which left out the actual redeeming part of the story. Yep. Uh, where Ooh. Alex, you know, he's not cured per se of you know his his bad intentions. He's like he actually just grows up and is like, oh, none of this excites me anymore. I'm just going to become a regular adult. And wildly different ending than yeah, what we what we got here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's the ending. Uh, I think we should uh, let's uh, start at the beginning because it is a very good place to start. Mm. Uh, the opening shot, uh, I gotta say, first first and foremost, it is incredible. It is Alex and his gang at the Corova Milk Bar, and it just it starts on Alex's face and it slowly pulls out to the just most fucked up place <laughs> you could, one could ask for. And I, I just love how it it sets everything up, but. Uh, here we'll go into uh, everyone's concern. It is a voiceover by Malcolm McDowell, Alex, and he is talking, basically kind of explaining what is happening, which is always annoying in voiceovers because we get it, but he is speaking in a extremely odd slang known as NADSAT. What do you guys make of the voiceover and the use of the language that the kids uh, speak in? throughout this entire film i think that's like one of the few versions of like narration in film where it actually like works mostly because we need his voice to kind of set the stage here because if you just showed that film without his narration one i think you'd have a more disturbing film than it already is but like i think that him kind of I don't know, there's always that whole psychological thing of like nobody who does evil really thinks they're doing an evil thing. They really think they're doing something that feels good. Like the, getting that insight that he really thinks this is all very cool and erudite and like, you know, classy and all that, even though like all of our all of my friends are sociopaths, like that whole thing just kind of <laughs> creates the contrast I think the film needs. And just I don't know. I think it's brilliant, but it's easily, if it was anybody except Kubrick, it would have gone horribly. <laughs> That's what we were talking about earlier. I don't know how he gets away with some of this shit. Like, he just, he, he does it so well that you sort of forgive the sort of cliched things that we don't, don't normally sort of go for in films. So, yeah, we've, we talked about monologue. I don't remember what film recently, Steve. We talked about monologue or voiceover in a few films, and I think if you do it, it has to work really well or it's just the most obnoxious thing. And I, I do agree that it, it works really well here. And you you do, you need it because the world isn't explained. We're sort of just right. like thrown into this, which is great. And it would be really disturbing to not have the voiceover narration, but I feel like it also would lose some of its um, depth narration-wise and certainly depth for Alex as a character. It just wouldn't work. Um, 
I think the, the 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 slang language. I think it's really fun to sort of like emulate, but after a while, it gets a little cute for me. And I, I don't think it's the movie's fault. I think it's because it's just sort of some of it is sort of like blended into you know pop culture. I think the whole movie is sort of like that. It's sort of just all blended in, and it, it can be. Like there's moments when I just want to slap Alex across the face. Like I'm like, you stop it, just stop talking like that, stop. It. But I I get that he's not supposed to be consistently the most likable character in the world, obviously. So that's sort of okay. Um, so it doesn't nothing in it. I guess bothers me to the point of like I just need to stop watching this movie because I love this movie. But there's moments where you're just like, all right, all right, guys, take it take it easy. <laughs> like take it easy with this. Like Appy Polly Loggies. I'm like, all right, just. Can say apologies, yeah. god damn it. Like, <laughs> they are, it is a little cute sometimes, but I, yeah, it's, it's fun though. It is fun, it is fun, yeah. And it's having that definitely, as you say, because the world is like, what's happening? It's a sci fi sort of weird, yeah. fa- failed socialist state. It's never really, you know, something's wrong, but you're not quite sure what, and they still never explain it. It's just, it's everything is sort of just a little right of where you think it's supposed to be like what's the fuck is going on here yeah and, and I, I do have to say one thing that really does help is that malcolm mcdowell like i love that man's voice it, it, yes. also it feels like it hasn't changed in 40 years or something he's still got that gravelly kind of sinister yeah. but like you know soothing kind of voice like i'm like oh that's why you play the bad guy and everything because you just you're just that you're just that dude even when you're 25 playing a 15 year old it's still it's it's still so great yeah um i think like the defining moment in there is like that one bit at the end where he like they're showing him the cards and all that and he's like eggy wags and that's kind of like the whole <laughs> encapsulation of like it's hilarious and yet he puts like this sinister twist on yeah. it where it's just right. like that one word just sounds like like he's gonna beat somebody to death and like drown them in eggs or something. It just sounds wrong <laughs> in all the right ways, right in there. Yeah, he has this way of being charming and like I kind of like him, even though he's j- just the worst. Per- he's he's awful. He's a terrible human being. But I'm like, you know, I kind of understand. I guess you know as a former angry young or still angry young white guy i'm like ah fuck i t- oh i think i'm i think i think i was classier than i was and <laughs> it's a whole thing uh which actually does bring to one of the questions like can we be straight up like uh, clearly in 2017 alex and his droogs are in charlottesville with carrying the tiki torches right oh man yeah. oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah and but they sort of look like the suspenders and... <laughs> yeah. wow. i'm surprised they didn't, i'm surprised people didn't show up with those things the the wow. hat and the, the cod piece and whatnot just to be i would assume that they watch art that's that's, the, that's, that's that's it right there that's a fair point that is that is that is it just i just these these kids i just i i looked and go like oh this is a uh there's an interview with spielberg about this movie and say like he basically said like yeah he predicted this and sort of all of it's come true in a way at least the way the kids are the you know kids are not all right here just at all and they think they're and they're just roaming free like a pack of wild you know wild dogs but instead of of course just going around beating up people in real life which they sometimes do it's they're dog piling on everyone who's different online and it's uh it would be fascinating to see this get updated for the modern audience uh, it's still just very, um, very depressing, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> I mean, the whole thanks, the, Steve. We were having such a good time. I mean, the whole movie is just—it's just—it's just a barrel of laughs, guys. Right? They're—they're they're just doing it. They're just doing it for fun, and that's what makes it so terrifying. Is that these kids? I, like they're evil, but not in that like <laughs> we're gonna we're, <laughs> yes yes we're evil. They're like no, we're just gonna go out and have some fun at literally everyone else's expense, and that's yeah. what makes it. Uh, that's what that's to me what makes it a a horror movie. Feel free to uh, uh, disagree with that, but we are talking. This is October. We are talking uh, the horror films, the very few and far between horror films that were nominated for best picture, and we added this one. Specifically for its kind of horror, and uh, I'm just wondering what you, your guys' input as to why it should be classified as a horror movie in this and, case. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. Because, I mean, I think the 
biggest thing about horror is just like whatever it is, it's usually something like very straightforward and true, but taken to its unlogical extreme. I think. Mm-hmm. Like my, I just had this conversation with somebody just last week where I made the argument that like um, Larry Cohen's Kids is a horror movie for that same reason in that it's the most realistic thing and it's horrifying if you're not already a part of that culture. In this one, there's no culture to be a part of because it doesn't exist. But at the same time, it's totally within the realm of imagination, which makes it even worse. It's the horror of realizing this type of person exists, is out there, and could be coming for you at any given moment. That by itself is part of it and then cooper just takes it to that next extreme which is our disc like he basically goes are you disgusted by that do you hate it sounds awful doesn't it don't you want to beat the shit out of these kids <laughs> and takes that to like you know the horrors on us as well because oh. everything that we're thinking of doing to that kid actually happened mm-hmm. and he manages to make that just as horrifying of everything he does in that first 45 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. yeah it's, so yeah, it's absolute horror. Yeah. And it's it's a monster movie, but it's told kind of from the view of the monster. The you know this emo- this emotionless, generally emotionless character who just goes around randomly inflicting violence on people. It's like it's kind of it's he's kind of the you know, he's not a slasher per se, but he's kind of a proto slasher where he's just like, "Oh my god, this person is just doling out violence because he can." And that I, that is, in a way, far more terrifying. Like I understand, like a lot of the times I understand, like in a, in a horror movie, like well, yeah, they're getting their bizarre form of karmic justice because they're having sex or you know they insulted the Halloween trickster god or whatever. But here it's just this: it's it, the monster is, uh, it's not it's uncaring and it just sort of happens randomly. And it can strike at any time. And oh, guess what? He's also just a kid, and there, he's a human. And isn't that even worse than some <laughs> supernatural thing that's just coming at you constantly? And it's oh, and it's it's freaking. It's also violent as hell. Matt, uh, what uh, what is your opinion on on that? Well, I mean, there's a, a, a sort of a. <sighs> overgeneralization or it's 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 an oversimplification about horror but anytime you sort of equate um sex and violence together you know they're sort of part and parcel together to me you're sort of barking on horror's door that's just how it usually goes um but if you just take into account uh the sort of our, our sort of entire world's obsession with um, you know, violence and particularly like serial killers, like real life serial killers, which sort of, you know, spurned up in the uh, late 50s into the 80s. You're, you see anything like that and it sort of all comes back to something horrific. I mean, there, this is a movie that features uh, not one, but two home invasion sequences in, in a sort of ever popular trend in sort of modern horror films. They like just love just assaulting like families and homes just because <laughs> it's horrifying. Right. We feel vulnerable there and, and we, we should feel safe in our house and it's easy to make that. So I, I think that there's, there are horror elements at play for sure. And I mean, we talked about, <clears throat> um, we talked about Italy with investigation of a citizen above suspicion and the, you know, late sixties, early seventies, Italy was all about sort of, um, proto slashers sort of these murder mystery types where they they sort of took place in these sort of bizarre sexual experiences and and rape was usually a big part of it too and and violence in the home violence inflicted against women and just all this crazy stuff that was going on so i can't help but think um there is some sort of connection here and 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 the horror as you guys both said sort of exists in the fact that these are teenagers basically and then the book i mean the book is even worse i mean if the, if you could imagine like it's way Way worse. Like the scene when he takes the two girls home uh, at the record store, basically, and that kind of like mall thing he's right. in. Um, just to put one scene in perspective, those in the book, those girls are 10 year olds. They're 10 year old girls. Oh. And, yeah, and he's Whoa. the same. So, <clears throat> I mean, if anything, I, it's amazing to me that you could say it could get worse than what it had. <laughs> but read the book. It gets a lot worse in some respects. And obviously, it, some of that stuff you can't can't push in a, in a film it just, just it, you shouldn't even have pushed it in a book anthony burgess i don't know what's wrong with you but, like, but still like 
yeah, uh, yes, horror, horror among other things, I would agree for sure. Yeah. Okay. And uh, on that note, how has the violence held up some nearly fifty years uh, since this movie came out in seventy one? Is it? Well, that's the that's mm. the fun thing I think because it's that whole like Tarantino thing of it's not as like it's implied violence but there's not a whole lot of blood and like right. guts and whatever on screen like there's a rape scene that like you know the intro to it drags on long enough that you think it happened mm-hmm. but it really doesn't they cut away like right as like you know he's about to go do it and then you don't but just the mere inference of what he's happening and the fact that he's even enjoying it mm-hmm. is bad enough mm-hmm. yeah so the violent part of it actually isn't that bad, but like enough is implied where you get the general idea, and it's again whatever you're imagining is worse than if Kubrick actually went ahead and filmed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. There are some scenes, especially towards the end when he is, uh, I suppose, receiving some sort of karmic justice, if you can call it that. The scene where his uh, mates, uh, Georgie and Dim, Dim are yeah. drowning him. Yeah. And it's just under, it's so long. You're like, um, yeah, is, he, is he okay? Like, are, what are you like, Kubrick? I know you're fucking crazy, but like, are you killing Malcolm McDowell right now? Like, he apparently had a breathing device, but it's like, this is just, this is very uncomfortable right now. I I I don't like this at all. Oh god, what's happening? And it's you know, you're and you're but but you are right. It is kind of it's subdued for you know despite having an X rating. Which is most, I think, mostly for language and just copious amounts of nudity. It is a uh, small. It's smallish in terms of its 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 violent content, but it is no less affecting. I think because it's shot in a in a way that is, uh, I suppose, very art. I don't want to say artistic because that would be like saying like, oh, it's so beautiful. That, you know, when they beat this homeless man in this wide shot in the in the alley, but it's a. <laughs> The violence that is there kind of stays with you just because it is all crafted so well that it kind of, it, to me at least, it sticks out. You have, you have just scene after scene of these horrible things happening to them. At least, maybe not violent. Maybe they're just just a terrible, a terrible experience with uh, go, but when when he goes to the movies and has his eyes kept open for hours on oh, end. God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah so obviously we have to discuss the Ladovico technique. Um, uh, do we have to? Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> it's the. Uh, it's you know for those of you who don't remember, it is the scene. You've probably seen it where Alex has his eyes held open, and they are literally held open. He got his eyeball scratched a couple of times during the. I assume what I assume very long filming of this scene, and he is forced to watch violent movies, uh, r- rapes, and uh, Triumph of the Will was on there. Because you know Nazis, and you should really—it's gotta be. It's just gotta be. How how is this one? How is this particular scene held up over the decades, and has it influenced a lot of things that have come since then? Well, as someone who like my like, I have three major phobias, and one of them is eye trauma. I cannot watch that scene all the way through. Just. It is the worst, and just <laughs> fuck this scene. Seriously, yeah, I okay. can't feel. Just no, I I hate that scene so much. And so, at the very least, I can say it's effective at what it's trying to do. Because if he, like, I have the privilege of looking away from everything that he's doing. He does not. And poor Malcolm McDowell actually sat there and took it for apparently days on end. They were filming that scene. Which is just my idea of, like, you know, if I do something horrible, that's going to be my hell. That's just going to be me <laughs> yeah. strapped to a chair with Stanley Kubrick screaming at me in his freaking beard. You know, whatever. What would you, what would, what would be playing? Like, what, like what's, play, what's playing on the screen that you just have to watch over and over and over again? Now I'm just curious. I think baby geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> just baby geniuses forever on a loop, never changing. Oh, just it just as soon as it ends, it just starts up again, and you it just, just ah. starts over, over and over again oh. for all eternity, <laughs> with no respite. Just <laughs> this is my own prison. I I have done something terribly wrong, and I will never be forgiven. That's <laughs> oh man. All right, well, actually, Matt, same question. If you if you had to endure this for all eternity, what's what's the movie that's playing? Uh, or the, or the 
the media that is playing on repeat. Oh man. Um, I mean, baby genius is pretty, it's pretty awful. Um, what do I hate? Like, what do I just hate with such a passion? Oh, you know, something like, it would be something like, um, <laughs> you know, which movie, you know, movie I really hate. And I had to watch it because my friend was an extra in it that, uh, well, actually, so anything with, and I can't even think of her stupid name. That stupid woman. <laughs> So the the movie the movie I'm thinking of is uh uh 27 dresses that like Catherine Heigl. Oh. Anything with Catherine Heigl on repeat, I would just oh, I hate her. So that like one with her and Gerard Butler, which is also just another person I don't want to necessarily see all the time. Just something like that. And they always make sure I think with Baby Geniuses too, they always play the credits, and you're like hoping when it gets to the end, it's either just gonna fade to black and be done. Or like something new is gonna come up, and no, then it just starts right over again. Maybe like the maybe like the DVD menu for like thirty seconds, just so you can be like, maybe we'll watch the special features. And like, no, play movie. Yeah, Twenty Seven Dresses. I hate that movie. So. Wow. Okay. Huh? I think it's made for you to hate it. I don't think it's made for anyone to enjoy that movie. Okay. I don't think I don't think anyone enjoys Twenty Seven Dresses. I'm gonna make that. That's a blanket statement. Yeah, across my arms too. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yes, yes, you did. Uh, well, if you would like to uh, propose that you do enjoy Twenty Seven Dresses, feel free to write us. <laughs> Tell Matt he's wrong. <laughs> we Open the floodgates. I yes. will. Yeah, I will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> like pleasantly, pleasantly. Oh, yeah, pleasant you know, as just, you'd, be, you'd be so you'd be so kind about it. Not very pleasant to me. Yeah. <laughs> would, it, would, it, would, it, would it be a giant phallus that you smash on their face, or what? What's what's the deal? It would be a giant sculpture that I could still somehow pick up of Catherine Heigl. Of Catherine Heigl. <laughs> Just her dumb face. Like, what is your agent thinking? You're terrible. You're terrible. <laughs> oh, we're definitely going to hear about that one. Oh. Catherine Heigl, if you're listening, hi. I don't care. Okay. We're sorry. Anyways, anyways. I, I, All right, I'll but... pick her online. You can just know exactly who I am, which one of us is the one saying it. It's me. It's it's Matt. It's Matt. But you know what? Well, uh, I will. I, Matt, Justin, you don't have to take the blame. You're just you're just the the guest here tonight. But yeah, Matt and I I'll, will endure whatever that. torment Catherine Heigl has for us, which probably is just watching Twenty Seven Dresses over and over again while she narrates it, just constantly <laughs> uh, to us. Like her commentary. That's worse. Okay, getting back getting back getting back to a Clockwork Orange. We could definitely talk about hating Catherine Heigl all day. I'm sure. Does the Ladovico technique actually cure Alex? Does it cure him? Does it cure him of violence? Well, at yeah, at first, right? Yeah. There's, I don't know, it's a gray area because there's that whole philosophical question of what the nature of absolute good actually is, which is, is it because you're choosing good or is it because you're doing something to avoid, you know, something bad right and doing something just to avoid like in this case you know being sick is not necessarily curing him of evil per se it's just giving him a negative um reinforcement for doing whatever it was he was doing prior which is not the same as becoming a good human being (laughs) i mean i think like ultimately in the end maybe i mean the thoughts are still there and whether that becomes action i guess that's the you know big question at the end of it all but when he's going through that scene and he's just throwing up at the very thought of something awful it's not necessarily fixing him it's just introducing this whole other element so again it's just basically like putting a shield between him and the rest of the world yeah as the um the preacher in the prison set goodness is something to be chosen and when a man cannot choose he ceases to be a man and that's where the the fun morality of this entire movie comes into play and kubrick's just like well okay we're just gonna pull out the rug like you like you think you know this character and now we're just gonna change it up a little bit now how do you feel about him because he's not he's not violent anymore and the thing that we want him to be which is not violent is achieved it's just kind of achieved through a little cheat but at the same time, at the same time, like yes, there's a question of like, well, he didn't choose this, but the same thing is achieved. So, really, what is the difference here? At least on the terms, of, at least on the societal terms, because this is obviously a government-funded project that that you know they're going through, 
And mm. while it's a uh, it's a band aid, it's still a band aid that I think a lot of governments would like to do. Which oh, yeah, they would, they would in, definitely do this. Oh, if they, they, could. Would, they would do this. Enough. They, they, they have, probably. I mean, let's be honest. Wasn't that what was that CIA thing? MK Ultra. So they pretty much have done something like this. Yeah. I mean, yep. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I love. It's like I didn't even realize the first time I saw it, but I. I but now this is this is a criticism of so many things, and it's also I just also realize it's a, you know, a look at government overreach. It's like mm-hmm. they shouldn't. Government should not be. Um, necessarily you know policing morality in this case like their job is to you know it's to punish to punish wrongdoers but also they should have a hand in preventing them from preventing through education and through you know opportunity and whatnot to make sure that wrongdoing doesn't happen but this is a this is too much (laughs) this is too much for uh for me for me to handle but Mm -hmm. uh wondering what uh use guys's thoughts on um, that would be, uh, yeah, is no, that's, that's what, what, what do you think Kubrick is saying about the government and its role in human nature? Well, I think that isn't the whole thing about like the whole thing's about like human nature and that it can't, we can't really change it. And I think that sort of fits with Kubrick's sort of way of thinking. I mean, I, I, the only argument I could make for it actually curing Alex is that he thinks losing that last shred of his like good humanity is him being cured, right? Like there's no doubt in his mind that like what he was doing was right in his head. And that's when he says I'm cured at last at the end, because he's like, all that bullshit is gone. And I know exactly who I am as a person, which is really depressing because who he is as a person, as a psychopath who likes to rape and hurt people. But isn't there something sort of freeing and empowering about that like a person discovering exactly who they are and feeling like kind of good about it i mean it's unfortunate that his what like i said the, the person he ends up being is not a good person but um i think there's something sort of he feels very empowered in that moment at the end and i feel like that's sort of the idea which is just bizarrely <laughs> disturbing and very kubrick that that person would be this terrible terrible human being <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got, kind of like the reverse of like of, of like an American psycho situation where it's just like, you know, I've done all these horrible things, but now I come back to it and none of it actually mattered. I'm not fulfilled in any way. Mm. Kind of like self-realization is a, good for you, even yep. though it's a horrible, horrible thing. <laughs> right. My whole thought was, you know, this took place in England because this was America. Like, we're not good at preventative care for anything. <laughs> So the idea that like they're gonna go in and like actually prevent like criminals from actually thinking violent thoughts before they happen, that is a level of like forethought that we're just not capable of. Mm-hmm. So like th- I think the idea of doing it in Britain, where it's just like we have to save people from themselves, I don't. One is just a very kind of British European way to conquer that particular problem. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, introducing a whole new level of, again, where does it stop? Like, there's that whole minority report question of just, like, were they actually going to do it if all they were doing was thinking about it? Like, it's not policing the act. It's policing actual free thought. Right. And that's a scarier thought than, like, you know, anything that you can do just, like, throwing a criminal in prison. That is literally, we're not even going to allow you to have you know, entertain the thought of this even happening. That's frightening, which goes back to, hey, it's a horror movie. It's it's absolutely a horror movie on so many so many fucked up, crazy crazy levels, and I do really enjoy what what Kubrick is doing here. Not only from a, uh, mo- his sense of morals and where he's approaching this with, like, there are no good characters, and, you know, evil is a choice and it is a choice one should be allowed to make even if even despite the consequences because that's human nature and to deny that choice is really to deny ourselves but also what he's working on here is excellent technical skill i gotta hand it to him i love watching a kubrick movie just looking at it you don't sometimes you don't even need the sound you just watch him use frames and production design cost them everything and it just flows together so well in this weird especially here because it's in the future but it's it still feels kind of like the 70s future but there's a timelessness to it you're like all right this this is it's a world that's sort of like been you know has moved on i think to quote the gunslinger uh, would be so like um uh what what is what is your impression of kubrick as a technical filmmaker and how how else do you like the music choices that he uses here for for the film and and everything 
<laughs> like the music is a whole other thing by itself. One because I don't think at that point like there was like a whole like there hadn't been a score that was just all synth music. I don't think at that point. Mm-hmm. And it, like just the idea that he's using all this wonderful classical music like he always had, like he did just one film prior in two thousand one. And all of a sudden, it's just all distorted and electronic and just dissonant and just ugly versions of these songs. That is just a brilliant choice in and of itself. And to do it at that time just feels like he was, like, you know, decades ahead of the curve by itself. Like, I just heard that, like, just in, oh, what did I just, yeah, so in Blade Runner, we're like, we go, yeah, 2049. So. We went from like that very pretty kind of, you know, Ben Jealous kind of like neo noir score. And now we're at this point where it's just like Hans Zimmer just kind of pounding one key <laughs> over and over again. I mean, I love that movie, but just like that was not his best work. But just that idea of just kind of like it's an uglier future to begin with. So like kind of like pushing it even further, like that seems like a thing that a Kubrick score would have done with that story. But he did it back in 1972, mm. which just sounds all the more just whatever his brain was on. It was not in 1972. I don't think. No, I don't know what man, I don't know what that man's brain is on. He's a he's a, he's a, he's a literal genius just, and just uh, probably a psychopath too. Like one of the nonviolent <laughs> ones. Just, just isn't, that, isn't, that like a, isn't that an oxymoron though? Like, don't you have to be violent in a way no, to be you a don't, You don't have to be violent to be a You just have to be like very just like uh, uncaring about people. So, so sociopath. So, right, I, there we go. Yeah, okay. So Pretty I think there, I, whatever the DSM will, can, can speak better. Can you guys hear Singing in the Rain now <laughs> without thinking of this movie? Nope. <laughs> Yeah, probably not. At least a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I can. Yeah. It's funny though because I actually watched. Like, I didn't watch Singing in the Rain until maybe about five or six years ago. Like, mm-hmm. that was on my list list of shame for the longest time. And the entire time I'm watching it, I'm just hearing, just you know, I'm seeing old men in the next room, just kind of going, oh, yeah. you know, that <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> just like imagining horrible things happening to a woman over in the corner it's just like oh um yeah that's room yeah. for me but it was still a good movie just kind of yeah you picked the wrong <laughs> theme song guys sorry <laughs> yeah, that, and that's that goes back to your point of it makes a great one of the, the most iconic songs of all time dirty and gross and just been it's been twisted to this is like, oh, I feel uncomfortable about this. Apparently, Malcolm McDowell would later meet Gene Kelly, and Gene Kelly was just brushed him off because he was like, fuck you, you ruined my song. And it was a great piece of imp- uh, improvisation. In the, uh, it was not because it was not in the original, original novel, and they were just bored. <laughs> they were kind of like, this scene needs a little something. You want to sing and dance while you're raping this woman? And I guess Malcolm McDowell was like, all right, sure, and that's and then we have one of the most famous scenes in cinema. It's it's great. Also, I think I think he uses classical music because it is way easier to license it than anything else. Because it's all Creative Commons, you can just use it. That is I, that yeah. is that is I think why he used um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. He's like, well, we'll just leave it in there for the moment, and then like, oh, all right, we'll just we'll just keep it because it's amazing. <laughs> and now it's a theme to two thousand and one. Right. Yeah. So towards the end, Alex has a no good. Horrible, very, very bad day. Um, he is, you know, he basically, it's a, it's, it feels almost comical, and it would seem too cute if it was anything other than a Kubrick movie. He, it, uh, the first act becomes the third act. We have the Chekhov's homeless guy, friends, and uh, home invasion. All they get, they get reloaded and fired again. You have uh, the homeless guy that they beat up. They beat him up, and he's rescued by his friends, who are now police officers, who then proceed to beat him up. And they, he stumbles to home, where he obviously raped uh, and assaulted uh, the the writer. That's where you see Darth Vader. Uh, is there a sense of? Do you get the sense that there's karmic justice happening? Does karma even exist in a film like this, or in the world in general? The biggest thing that I noticed just the second 
they went back, like they showed his friends and they were cops. Like watching it like two years ago after like Ferguson and everything that happened. Yeah, yeah. Like it couldn't help but kind of like have that whole just like he's saying something, but like what I don't think he had that in mind per se, but he definitely had this mind of, well, he like his best friends, their sociopaths, they don't care about anyone and they love violence. So cops, there yeah. you go. They, they become <laughs> cops. Oh, <laughs> so much has come to pass in this movie it's uh oh. it's a damn it's a it's a damning indi- it's an indictment of a time that doesn't exist which is fucking amazing when yeah. you think about it just for what for what what level kubrick is working on here it's um just astounding it's, guys are there is there any is there any good person here in this movie can you call anyone good can you call even the parents good the lodgers anybody Anybody got a redeeming quality here? Maybe the chaplain, the prison chaplain. I think okay. Yeah, I think the the prison he, chaplain. He's, the he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's religious, so I'm not like a huge fan of him in that regard. But like, he's a nice guy. Like, he seems to care. Any nobody else? Certainly not Alex. Uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, probably not. Like, like even the like even the parents because because. You know, you know, there's that time when he's, you know, he's cured and he's coming home and he just wants to be taken in. He just wants mm-hmm. his family again. And like, he's even kind of behaving differently. He's much more polite. You're just like, just like, it's, it's over. He's, he's done stupid, like not enough time, but he's done his time and now he's better. Like, love him. Please just love him. And then you're like, oh, I can't even get behind the parents for that. And it's a, it's a whole thing about change and it's just <laughs> well to the parents credit though because i've always gotten the idea especially like the way he acts at the beginning that he's a perfect child up until the fact that he gets arrested like mm. i've had the feeling like his parents either they know and he's just like oh boys will be boys or <laughs> they don't know which makes it worse so when that comes out like i feel like they're the kinds of parents especially again being british parents where they're just kind of very reserved, just like, oh, we love you very much, dear. We just can't have anything to do with you and pretend we raise you in any way whatsoever. <laughs> so it's not, I don't think even that they're bad people, but I think they've compartmentalized the fact that he is this person to the point where they just cannot have him around. Mm. Yeah. So I think as that's as close to a good person, like people who did not know what kind of monster they were raising. That's about as close to good as you're gonna get. Yeah, It'd be interesting to see the movie from their perspective. Like, a, uh, we need to talk about Alex, sort of, sort of way. <laughs> Just like, like the fallout from the community they would get from when it's revealed that Alex is this the worst person. <laughs> so many, so many, so many little. There's so many little s- stories here that I would love to see like happen elsewhere. Like the, like the prison, like the prison guard that really stodgy by the books guy like he was, he's awesome he's, he's awesome i just want to know he's what so he's, funny, he's, yeah. which and which is nice it's nice because there's a lot of involuntary humor here. like it's a movie that it's like sadistic it's mean it's vicious it's also kind of funny at times like some of like some like the way he the way he kills that woman it's it's i know it's not it's supposed to be you know terrible it's a it's, it's, it's a kind tight of, rope. It's yeah. he, and Cooper just he just walks it so carefully. It, it, he's he's brilliant. But I, like I love at the end, he's you know um, you have uh, Darth Vader and his uh, his his guy, <laughs> and they're and they're and they're, and they're feeding him the the spaghetti and they're pouring him the wine that's laced. And Alex is like, I think, the, and I always feel like something bad's about to happen. And he just immediately slumps over, and face face first in the, the spaghetti. I like this. All right, that's pretty funny. Like, thank it's, you. It's I needed that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that whole dinner, like, oddly enough, is like hilarious. Just like that whole, "Are you enjoying dinner?" Well, yes, it's nice. <laughs> Try the wine. <laughs> that's, that's and I think you, I think you, you kind of need some of that. And but it also serves a purpose because these are now terrible people behaving terribly towards Alex as well. And you know, it's you know, it's it's part of the it's part of the thing that. Kubrick is saying he's indicting everyone saying we we could totally be terrible folks we could be we can you know submit to our baser instincts if given the right opportunity especially when that person 
is someone who has wronged us and he can't fight back. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at Alex if he ever yeah. did something to me. Like, no, like no doubt about it. And I would probably feel like shit about it. Be like, who the fuck am I? Am I what's going? And it's you know, and then you get the whole conversation about this entire movie that we've been having for 55 years since the novel came out, and it's just absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we're we're running low on time. How does this film, Clockwork Orange, compare to the actual winner, The French Connection? How would you how would you rate them side by side? Justin. That one's rough because, I mean, The French Connection is a great film, but it's also operating on a very kind of different, well, I'll put it this way. They're both great films, but one of them is clearly more palatable than the other. <laughs> like, one, like, like, it's almost like you have Gone with the Wind going up against a porno movie. Like, they're on that <laughs> difference of a level there. And it could be the greatest shot porn ever. It still doesn't change the fact that you put Gone with the Wind up against a porno movie. Just they're just very, very different kind of feels for it. And especially, you know, an Academy Awards of nineteen seventy two, this is a very kind of you know, this cannot be art kind of thing if it's you know, using these kinds of images and right. this kind of violence. Yeah, it pretty much had no chance if it was put up against. I'm actually impressed it was even nominated, really. Mm. Yeah, me too. And we and it was rated X at the time, and they had already awarded Best Picture to Midnight Cowboy, I think, like two or three years before. Yeah. Uh, which was rated X, and I don't think they were going to be doing that again anytime soon. They're like, you know what? We'll just just back it off. We'll just give it to Patton. Get back to the old <laughs> the old time, and then we'll. Uh, I mean, at the very least, French Connection does have a. Another sociopath character, the great Popeye Doyle, played by Gene Hackman, one of the all-time great fucking movie roles ever. Um, Matt, how about uh, how about you? Where does uh, how how do, how do you feel about Clockwork Orange well, in, as a nominee? We we've I mean we've been talking about it, and I can remember our conversation about the French Connection, and and I love that movie. I, I always have loved that movie, and I, and I love a Clockwork Orange. But two things: French Connection, I think fits more cleanly into sort of generic descriptors, you know, cops and robbers type film. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it's done in sort of great style with great performances and sort of a grittiness and a realism that hadn't really been seen all that much before, but had been sort of been building to in, in sort of uh, this type, that type of cinema, but uh, uh, clockwork orange, I feel like it, and maybe it's just the unfortunate uh fortunate ability that we can sort of compare it to lots of things that are happening now which is bad it's bad that this movie feels more relatable in in 2017 than it did in 1971 um but it makes it to me it made it even more powerful these conversations about um you know i kept thinking about the death penalty and issues of the death penalty when they're talking about prisoners and how they would change them and reform them and um, if you know if they do terrible things, what do we do to them? Do we do terrible things in return? Does it really matter if we do terrible things in return? So I think in some ways the French Connection is it. The French Connection is fantastic because it shows us it shows us the world of 1971 it, with warts and all. And uh, Clockwork Orange is maybe even better because yes, it shows us the world of 1971 warts and all, but it also shows us the world of 2017 in some ways warts and all. The sort of universal that we're always looking for, Steve, I, I think shines through a little bit more in a strange way with a clockwork orange, <laughs> even though it's sort of this hyper reality. That's sort of what we live nowadays. It doesn't feel real. Everything feels sort of hyper real in an unfortunate yeah. sense. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm since, sad now. <laughs> ever, ever since last November, the world has not felt the same. But I, yeah. I will say the French Connection does have a lot of, I think you can read a lot of, uh, modern takes into that movie as well, just due to the you know it's cor- you know corrupt, vicious cop who you know is sparing no expense and who he doles out uh, punishment to, and in, mm-hmm. in, in the search of the quote unquote bad guys, he is actual bad guy, but you know details, details. He sort of you know he can't be stopped. He's a loose cannon. He you know, all that stuff, and um, <laughs> loose I think. Cannon. I think Clockwork Orange has endured in the pop culture. Lord knows you'll see people dressed up as Alex and his droogs, unironically, every Halloween, because 
that's how we we process things and uh lord has a lot <coughs> or in charlottesville or, or in charlottesville yeah. <laughs> either either apparently there was another charlottesville gathering and i'm sure there were yeah, just a know, couple days ago. there were a couple dude bros dressed up like this quoting it and being like oh we're so so funny when you're not funny at all um just yeah there's a a truth in the human condition that clockwork orange speaks to that is one I don't think any of us want to admit to, but is one we all need to hear about. And it that is why it was nominated and that is why it has endured for so many of these of these years and has survived uh as as it has when other films may have just fallen by the wayside. It you know, there, it you can keep finding something in every in every era to bring it back to a clockwork orange and say they did it first and do we ever change? I guess I guess not. The movie is about changing, but it's not really about changing. It's about going. Well, I liked it better the the old way, so I'm going to yeah, keep doing right, that. Right. You're like, and you know, a change has to come organically. It can't be forced upon you. You have to think about it. You have to go through it, and it's a personal quest, and no one can tell you otherwise because you you have to do it yourself. And uh, we just don't do that as people, really. People. Uh, whether it's violence, whether it's sexual assault whether it's lying whether it's politics whether it's anything it's uh the more things change the more things stay the same i suppose you know just the technology is different now we have twitter and facebook and all sorts of things yeah so everything's uh, changing yes thank you so much folks for listening to uh this episode of for your your reconsideration it's clockwork orange uh we hope you have enjoyed the show next week we continue our uh oktoberfest with our un-oscar edition the 2009 direct-to-DVD movie *Trick or Treat*, which uh, <laughs> it's I'm excited about talking with to uh, to uh, to you all. So uh, if you can find it, check it out, and we'll uh, we'll be discussing it then. This has been Oscar Watch, guys. Justin, thank you so much for coming on and talking yes, this movie with you. us. That was it's great having you on. We missed you. It's been way too long. Oh, Where shot. can folks find you online if they want to get in touch and read your shit? Um, my shit can be located at welcometheclassreel.com, which again, just launched, so there's not the whole lot there, but there will be. Mm-hmm. And my Twitter, which is at Justin of Clark. Yeah, excellent. Matt, uh, you're going through your 31 days of horror on Instagram. Where's yeah. your Instagram and what, 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 are, what are you doing right now? What are you, what are you talking about right now? So I'm on Instagram at uh, movie underscore matinee, matinee with two T's. So yeah, 31 Horrors of October 2017. Uh, I always try to do a few like serieses because I just feel like that's it's sometimes a fun way to to go back and do that. Um, and it just so it just so happened that there was a uh, a fourth film in a sort of independent series uh movies called hatchet there was a fourth film that had been uh secretly being made for two years there was a 10th anniversary of the first movie and the it's actually it's a it's a cool it's a cool story the a couple years ago at the one of the horror conventions i go to in worcester massachusetts um uh george romero george romero was there speaking and the this this director of Hatchet, Adam Green, was there uh, moderating. And at the end of it, George Romero basically, long story short, told him that he needs to make another one of these movies. And he was just like, "Well, I got to do it now because George <laughs> Romero told me." So he, for two years, secretly made a fourth film in the series without anybody knowing. And then he had a free screening of a tenth anniversary screening for the first movie, and then surprised everybody with the fourth movie, and they had no idea. And uh, George Romero was supposed to be there. He died like thirty six days before, or something oh. awful like that. Uh, so, but they're doing, he's doing like a roadshow screening of the fourth movie and it's tomorrow night in Salem, Massachusetts on my birthday. Very excited. And everyone, yes. a, a, lot of, a lot of people will be there involved. So I've been doing, I uh, did the first movie last night, second movie tonight, third one tomorrow. And the fourth one will be on Friday the 13th, which is, I believe, apropos. <laughs> the stars have aligned for you, sir. They have. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's actually pretty sweet. Also on another note, I think more people should do that. They should just make surprise movies not tell anybody not advertise them just be like we just made this movie and like wouldn't it be great if like they just re- released some random star wars movie just on the on an unsuspecting public it'd be amazing that'd be great right oh it's like it'd be great uh everyone this has been oscar watch you can reach us online 
on email at, at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on social media at oscarwatchpod. And be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. It really helps get the word out. We will continue our spooktacularness next week. Until then, <laughs> we'll see you on the red carpet. <laughs> Everyone from the place.